Don't forget, as we read through Peter, um, as we study this letter that he wrote to uh, the followers, that they have been exiled, that they are followers of the way, that, um, that really mean just like you, the gospel was preached to them in some way, probably not in the same type of setting that we're in at this moment, but the gospel was in some way preached to them. The good news of Jesus was in some way preached to these people that Peter is writing to, and they responded in submission and obedience to God's word. They responded in submission and obedience to the good news of Jesus. They confessed Christ as Lord. They followed him in baptism. And now they are, because, because Peter was trained in the Great Commission, they are now being taught to observe all the teachings of Jesus. And in so doing, as they are being taught those things, and they are submitting to those things, and they're being obedient to those things, they are observing those teachings of Christ and in that there being uh, people who are glorifying Jesus. The same is true for you today. You have maybe most of you or the majority of you in this room have confessed Christ as Lord. You follow through in believer's baptism and you are, you are walking in faith and your, and your faith is in Jesus. And now you're a part of this sanctification process, this purification process where salvation has come to you and now you're learning to observe all the teachings of Jesus. You are a disciple who is also being discipled and you are also, because of the Great Commission, making disciples. Christ said, again, I'm kind of pounding this in, but teaching them to observe everything that I've commanded you. So Christ called his commission to his disciples, including Peter, and now Peter is transferring this to the people who have responded to the call of the Lord, is to command them or to teach them to observe the commandments of Jesus. That is your call also as a follower of Jesus, as someone who's submitting to his way, submitting to his lordship, being obedient to him. Your call is to observe the teachings to apply the teachings, to put into practice the teachings of Jesus. And in this simple run-on sentence that Peter writes for us, this, that he's preaching in a sense through this letter to us, he's teaching this, that there's two things, that you would love one another and that you can do that because God's word. I'm going to stop there. I'm going to add now. You're going to love one another because of God's word, because of your trust in God's word, because of your obedience to God's word, because of the fact that God's word being preached to you and you responded to it brought new life to you. Because of God's word, you can be fueled with passion because of his truth to love rightly and to observe everything that he's taught you. So 1 Peter 1, 22 through 25. Again, don't forget, Peter is writing this. It's first being preached to these exiles, to these men and women who are now followers of the way, who have committed their life to Christ, who have said, I'm going to live in obedience to Christ. He is my Lord. He is my King. I'm submitting my life to Him. And so I want to follow His commandments. I want to observe His teachings. I want to let His Word shape and mold my life. These exiles, products of the Great Commission, 
hearing the word preached, or they heard the word preached, and now they're committed to the words that are being preached, and now Peter is writing these things to them. He's saying in this long run-on sentence that thankfully biblical scholars and, and these men who put the Bible together for us uh, included periods and commas and all those things and little numbers to reference. So starting with that little number 22, it says this, Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this is the word, and this word is the good news that was preached to you. So in this, these short verses, this long run-on sentence, we can't break it up. We have to keep it all together in the context of the rest of chapter 1. We're going to try our best this morning to break up this Peter sandwich for us with the word and love in the middle and truth in the word, kind of uh, putting it all together for us. So uh, Paul begins, uh, you know, being inspired by Christ and his Holy Spirit to talk about how you have purified your souls by the obedience to the truth. So I'm going to reiterate again, as I just said, these exiles are exiled because of their faith in Christ. They heard the word preached, proclaimed. They didn't just read it on a tract or saw somebody's cool Christian tattoo, but instead they heard the word preached and they responded in obedience to it. And so, because of the word being preached, their souls were purified. Because of the response to God's word, their souls began to be purified. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, are you, like we talked about last week, are you capable of purifying yourself. Are you capable of making yourself holy? No. Something else outside of you has to come into you and make you pure, make you holy. Peter is saying, what's going to do that? The word of the Lord. The word of the Lord was preached to you, is being preached to you. We hear it, we respond to it, and with that purity comes. Having been purified, having purified your souls by your obedience to truth for a sincere brotherly love. Why? Why are you being obedient to God's truth? Why are we setting as, as followers of Jesus, as people who want to be gospel-centered, as people who want to be Jesus-centered, Christ-centered, why are we saying that the Bible is our standard? The Bible is God's Word, and this is what we're relying on. This is what's uh, you know, forming or shaping our daily actions. Why is that? Because we recognize, having purified yourselves by obedience to the truth, that this truth and our obedience to it will help us, will fuel us, to have sincere brotherly love, a, a, a love that's earnest from a pure heart. Can you love, can you have brotherly love or agape love? Peter mentions both of those here. Can you have that without, from a pure heart without a pure word? Can you have that brotherly love or an agape type of love for one another, an earnest love from one another, and for the world as exiles, as temporary residents, can you have that from within yourself? Today I'm going, to, I'm going to gird up my loins by my own strength. I'm going to depend on my own feelings, my own heart. I'm going to depend upon, upon my own purity and hope for the best that I'm going to love like Christ. No, you can't. You can't do that. You can try all you want, and you're just going to, and many of you have experienced this already, exhaust yourselves. You're going to exhaust yourselves. These believers have been redeemed. They have been redeemed. They have been redeemed from their empty and guilty past. 
They have been redeemed from their impurities. They have had their sins removed, being washed by the Holy Spirit through the blood of Jesus, and now they are no longer full of sin, but instead now being filled with, the hope is, the Holy Spirit. That their motives begin to change. The same with you today. Through, remember Titus chapter 3. Through a washing of the Holy Spirit, a regeneration that happens, a renewal of your mind, Romans 12. That we're having this transformation happen from the inside out. Not from the outside in, not things that we can do, but from the inside out. The Word is penetrating to our hearts, cutting to our hearts, changing our, our impure motives to pure motives. Peter's urging believers to love one another. And he shows that what we are to do is not grounded or rooted in our own, in our own impurities, or our own strength, or our own doing, but instead what he's asking us to do, or in a sense commanding us to do, to love one another, is grounded completely in what God has already done. How can I love you with sincerity? How can you love me with sincerity or pureness or purity? Only if you base that upon or ground that in or root that in what Christ has done for you. Because this is what happens in our world today, and you've seen this, and we've had. I'm being real with you this morning. Some of you, I'm not going to name your names. I'm not going to be that guy, all right? Because you already know who you are. Some of us have had this conversation. Many of us have had this conversation. This conversation where it seems as if love and truth are at, at odds against one another. That the wrestle we have, how do we love like Christ loves, but also want truth to be rightly placed in this right position? How do we? How do we do that? We can only do that is if when our love is grounded in what Christ has done for us. When we're rooting our love and our life upon what Christ has done, not upon what I've done, but upon what Christ has done, then I can have sincerity of love. What does it say? Having purified your souls by, by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love. So we're going to, just for a moment, pause on uh, obedience to truth and talk about what Paul or Peter is talking about here, this sincere brotherly love, love for one another that's earnestly from a pure heart. What is sincere love? It's simple. It's love without hypocrisy. It's not an acting. It's not a putting on. It's not now that it's Sunday I'm going to love you. But it's actually that I would completely, because of what's happening inside me, I would love you no matter what the time of day it is. For some of you, how do you spend your, your entire day yesterday serving others by attending funerals or being a part of funerals or mourning with folks or standing out in the rain with folks as they're mourning loss? How do you do those things? It's Saturday. We want to do so many other things. Or it's Sunday. I want to do so many other things. The Cowboys, we live in New Mexico, and they start in just a few moments. I'd rather be. But what do we do? No, we don't let those things, those selfish ambitions fuel us. We let what Christ has done fuel us. If I was to, if I was to let my own selfishness and selfish ambition fuel me, and the same for you, I would be a hypocrite. Hypocrite. I would be acting. I would be putting on something that's not right. You would eventually see there's no sincerity there. You're not being genuine. You're not authentic. You're putting on a show. 
We don't want to be known as people. Christ doesn't call us to be known as people who are just putting on a show and acting, but instead that we would be real, genuine, authentic, supernaturally transformed people from the inside out. Peter is looking for sincere love without hypocrisy throughout the New Testament. Always the same. Love is always described as unhypocritical. That it's not a show. That it is genuine. So how can we? How can we have genuine, sincere, unhypocritical love for one another? And especially, especially when you are tired. How can you love me when you are tired? How can you love me when you are suffering? How can you love me while you're going through a trial? You've had this. This is the real moment. When, uh, when I ask you, how you doing? And you want so desperately to tell me that you're doing okay, but you know that you're not, but you're wrestling inside with, I want to say that I'm okay so that, in genuineness and sincerity, I can ask him how he's doing. But I know I can't in genuineness because my own, because I'm, I'm relying upon myself. I'm relying upon my own strength. And so when someone asks me, hey, how you doing? I want to deny self in this moment. Hey, it's not about me. But you've asked me, so I'm going to tell you. And we make the whole conversation or the whole lengthy time about, about ourselves. I'm not saying that so you will ask me. Okay, that's not a fishing for you to ask me those things, okay? Even though that felt really good just now, okay? I'm not asking you to do that. What I'm saying is we're looking, Christ is looking for people who are being transformed by Christ, people who are abiding in Him, abiding in Christ, who are being changed from the inside out. A sincerity in love. You have experienced this. You probably have two or three people in your life that you can say, they genuinely loved me. Number one is Jesus. Many of you have been, you've seen his love for you, and you say, I want to live for him no matter what. No matter the suffering, the trial, no matter the temptation, no matter what it is, I, I see his love for me, and so I want to live for him. And then on, on this earth, you've had a few folks. You can say, they loved me genuinely. I bring up my grandmother often in my own mind. I recall her often because her love was not fake. When she loved myself, I knew that she loved me greater than any of my cousins, greater than any of her kids. She had a genuine love for me, and I'm being really selfish in that. But it's helped me through the years to know there is at least, and there's more than that, but there's at least one person upon this earth that Christ is using to to show, who has been transformed by the gospel to show genuine love for one another. And Peter is saying, in your exiling, in your exile, in your sojourning, in your temporary residency as as folks upon this earth, representing as as ministers of reconciliation, as ambassadors, one of your tasks is to be changed from the inside out that the group of people belonging to Jesus would be known as people of sincere, brotherly, and agape love. How can, how can we, though, have this type of love? Living particularly in a divided world. A world or a life caught in between past life, caught in between former identity, a life caught between jealousies and hatreds. How, how can the church, the church that Peter is writing to in the church here today, how can a church be multicultural? How can a church be multi-generational? How, in this case, can Jews and Gentiles worship Christ together? How, in our case, can Hispanics and Anglos worship Christ together? How can the greatest generation and Gen Z worship Christ together if there's not a sincerity or a genuineness in love? And if we try and figure that out, if we read all the books if we check out all the great churches, 
If we listen to all of the great organizations and we studied for years Chick-fil-A and we say they've got it, so we should be like them. If that's what we're basing our transformation upon, our cleaning and our purity from the inside out upon, it will not lead to genuine love. It will lead to fake love. If we're basing it on anything in this, in this world, our own strength, our own experiences, our own thoughts, the teachings, however great they are, if we're basing transformation into a sincere love upon those things, we will only lead to producing fake fruit or fake love. Love that combined all those things together, Jews, Gentiles, Anglos, Hispanics, Gen Z, greatest generation, the only love that combined all that together is the love from our Redeemer. The love that's flowing through Him. The love from the Redeemer through the redeemed, fueling us. Christian love is supposed to be full of grace and compassion, not pride and selfishness. And so what needs to happen? A replacement needs to happen. Or better yet, a regeneration. A recreation needs to happen. Are you catching the language? A rebirth needs to happen. Lord, let me not be born again into my old ways, into my pride, into my selfishness, but instead creating me a new heart with new motives. Motives of grace, motives of compassion. Motives of, of unselfishness. Motives of sincerity in love. Lord, make my heart new as you are doing with motives of grace instead of motives of selfishness. Can you love someone and hold them accountable for sin? Of course you can. But if your task is to judge them and your priority is to prove them wrong by calling out their sin, you will also fall into sin. We must find true, genuine motives. And, and finding those will only be found in God's Word through a transformation that happens only through the Holy Spirit. That's why, that's why love can't be based upon my words or your words, my feelings or your feelings, but instead must be firmly rooted Firmly rooted in something that's ancient. Firmly rooted in something that's never going to change. Firmly rooted in something that has been supernaturally kept and will continue to be forever. And I'm getting ahead of myself. It's a little trailer, a little spoiler alert here. But that is God's Word. Peter goes on to say, Loving earnestly from a pure heart. Earnestly from a pure heart. Only two times in the New Testament is this word, this Greek word, earnestly mentioned once here and once in Luke 22. It's the word ektanos. It's an adverb. It means properly or, or it means to be fully stretched. It's describing the idea of being fully extended out to its necessary or full potential. No slack, but instead it's a stretching of us. An outside of who we normally are. Peter is saying, inspired by the Holy Spirit, the church, the people who is representing Christ, the people who are representing Christ, the ones who have been redeemed by Jesus, being fueled by their obedience to His Word and fueled by His love, will find themselves in many scenarios where they are being stretched outside of who they normally, who they normally are. This is that transformation. This is why we talk a lot about, or maybe not enough about, but I feel like we talk a lot about, the importance of going. 
the importance of the importance of being sent, and particularly places outside of your normal comfort zone. Because what happens outside of your normal comfort zone? You are stretched. And when you're stretched physically, you become more flexible. Now, I've been stretched so much that I pulled a hamstring trying to beat my kids at Ultimate Frisbee, and that's frustrating. And many of us have done the same thing. You've been stretched, and you've been hurt. And you start running, and that pain comes back in the hamstring, and you say, I I don't want to pull that hamstring again. I don't want to stretch myself too far, so I'm going to back off. I'm going to ease off a little bit. Where are those motives? Where are those motives coming from? Past experience, past thoughts, past hurts, whatever the case may be. If you're basing your love stretching based upon your own thoughts, your own feelings, your own weaknesses, your own hurts, you will get the glory and not Christ. When we allow Christ to transform us from the inside out, Lord, stretch me, and if so, be it. If it be your will, break me for the sake of your love extending to the entire world. In fact, the second time that this word, ectanos, is mentioned in the New Testament is found in Luke 22. The story goes, it's recorded for us, the truthful moment, the actual event in history goes this way. Peter says, love earnestly from a pure heart. He saw it firsthand. He saw it firsthand. And then he came, Jesus, he came out and went, as was, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives. And the disciples followed him. One of those disciples being Peter, who are reading his words today. And when he came to the place, he said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and he prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And Luke 22, verse 44 says this, and being in agony, being in agony, Not just pulling a hamstring, but being in total agony. Mental, physical, spiritual. Being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. Same Greek word. And his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples and he found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said to them, why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. Christ, not being fueled by his own will necessarily, or his own strength, but instead wrestling in that moment, who will I allow to receive the glory? Is this about my love and my will, or is this about the will of the Father? Yes, I'm being stretched Yes, I'm in agony. Yes, I'm suffering in this moment. But the call to a follower of Jesus is to observe, to put into practice, to be transformed from the inside out, and to love love earnestly from a pure heart. And it is going to stretch you. And you're going to be in agony. You're going to wrestle with, are these people deserving of your love? Why is Christ wrestling? Why is he in agony? 
Is he having a moment where he's thinking through, are these people deserving? Are they worthy of my sacrifice? How will they respond to that? Will they glorify me or will they misuse that? Christian love is a stretching kind of love and extending yourself beyond your own strength. And I would say this, when you are loving someone and you begin to wrestle, I can't go any further. When you begin to wrestle, I'm afraid I'm going to get hurt. When you begin to wrestle and say I'm weak, you are at the right moment. The right moment for Christ to use you. And in that moment, Christian brothers and sisters surround one another and say, press on. Be stretched, be broken for the sake of Christ and the gospel. Some of you are saying, yeah, but Christ has called us to rest. He's called us not to put those burdens upon us. You know what? So rest. Find rest. My problem is, is I find plenty of it. Resting. Take time. Take time to rest. And in that resting moment, say, fuel me, Lord, to be obedient to you. Fuel me with your word. Let me worship you even by myself. Let me worship you so that I may be used by you. Let me stand up, walk away from the garden scene, and do your will and not my own. For the small minority in the room today who is extending yourself with the love of Christ, rest, but continue to be stretched. Grow. Go. Be stretched. Get out of your comfort zone. Be obedient to Christ. Love even those folks, Gen Z, greatest generation, Jews, Gentiles, Anglos, Hispanics, Malaysians, people who smell bad, people who don't talk like you talk, people who don't have teeth, and I'm just talking about babies right now. Grow. Go. Get outside of your comfort zone. Ed Welch is a great biblical counselor, and he points out uh, that in the Bible, uh, in his book, Side by Side, in the Bible, there are these four garden scenes. These four garden scenes that really point to us and and talk to us about how to walk in moments of suffering or grief or temptation or trials or stretching moments. These four scenes are the Garden of Eden. He calls the wilderness scene when when Christ has gone out to the wilderness to... uh, to, uh, the, the, when the temptation of Christ happens, he calls that a garden scene, the Garden of Gethsemane and the Garden of Resurrection, which we mentioned one of those gardens already. In each garden scene, the word of the Lord is in question. At each moment when your hamstring begins to tell you to slow down or your fears begin to tell you to slow down or your past experiences tell you to no longer be stretched or your teaching from a great nation tells you not to be stretched, in each of those moments, the word of the Lord is in question. And also in each of those moments, Satan is tempting. In the Garden of Eden, what's being said? Did God really say these things? Should we be trusting in His Word? In the wilderness with Jesus, when He's being tempted, what happens there? Hey, if you're so, if you are like God and you can do these things, turn these things into food and eat it. Man shall not live on bread alone, but instead by every word that comes from God. In the Garden of Gethsemane, watch and pray, pray, and, and the scripture, prayer and the scriptures are the primary means for doing for doing battle. We have to think of this in the same way. How can you have a sincere, authentic, earnest kind of love, a stretching kind of love for one another and for the world? Only, only can you have that if you are obedient to Christ's word. Because God's word, because God's love is the source of our, of our love, God's word should be the, like the kindling the fuel that keeps that love fire burning. That may be too intimate for some of you. God's word renews us. It cleanses us. It matures us for a life of love. When we're studying this, 
Just as Christ elevated God's word and it fueled him to continue on, not my will but your will, we also respond the same way. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth. And in this, being purified by the truth, we can have a sincere brotherly love, a love for one another that's earnest. You say, you say right now, well, I want to walk in holiness and I want to walk in purity, but even as I'm loving, I find myself, I find sin rising up. As I, as I tend to want to love those who are outcasts, as I tend to want to love those who are draining to everyone else, as I, as I want to love those who are, who are made in the image of God but are, but are now being uh, controlled by or, or uh, separated from God because of sin, I want so desperately to love them like Christ, but I want to remain pure. Well, oddly enough, uh, David writes to us in Psalm 119, I'm going to read the whole psalm right now to you, uh, about how to, uh, to remain pure, how to walk in purity. Verse 9, I won't read it all. How can a young man keep his way pure? By how? By guarding it according to your word. Not your word, not my word, but by God's word. How you walk in purity. How you walk in sincerity. How you walk in authenticity. By keeping your life or guarding your life according to God's word. David goes on to say, With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies I delight as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts. I will fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. How do you continue on? How do you continue to love those who maybe don't even want to be loved? But you know that Christ loves them, and so you want to model that also. How do you continue that? How do you continue to have purity of motives? You guard your life by the Word of God. What we're really getting down to is that love must always be accompanied by truth, and that truth must always be accompanied by love. I mean, the saying goes like this. If you're going to play in Texas, you better have a fiddle in the band. And if you're going to tell the truth, you better have love. And if you're going to really love, you better have truth. Pure love is only produced out of pure truth. And pure truth, thankfully, God's word, was only produced out of his pure love. Obedience to truth equals submission to the gospel leads to a pure, sincere, loving life. In saving faith, the truth of God is heard and observed. And so if we, basing our life upon the Great Commission to go and make disciples of Jesus, teaching them to observe what? The truth. Teaching to observe God's word. How are we going to do that? How are we going to be sent out? Well, Peter says, as exiles, if you're not loving one another within the church with a sincere, authentic love, being controlled and obedient to God's word, you're not going to glorify God by your actions, because your actions will be fake. Your motives will not be genuine. There won't be purity in your proclamation of God's excellencies because you're not fully trusting in His, in His words. What are some of the teachings of Jesus that you find yourself observing daily? And are you observing those because you're trying to, because you're trying to win yourself to the Lord or earn, uh, uh, earn your own salvation or you're observing those out of a purity of heart. The enduring word of God, not subject to decay or change, but instead rooted in 
the pure, holy God that he is, fueling our every action. God's word creates and promises us eternal life. It's the seed of life that goes inside of us and that we ask God to water and to grow so that out of us flows the Bible, out of us flows truth, out of us flows the love that God has for us. What does Peter say? For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, and the flowers fail, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Your experiences, your thoughts, your feelings, your hatreds, your past teachings, your own wisdom, all those things will eventually go away. But Peter reminds us, when you base your love based upon the enduring word of God, it will not go away. Peter references Isaiah 40, an ancient text, an ancient document. He references this Isaiah 40 saying, this word of the Lord will remain forever. And I'd like to end this morning thinking about Isaiah 40. Isaiah 40, a word to exiled Jews. A word to exiled Jews who were losing hope, who were thinking God was not going to keep his promises. His promises of strength, his promises of hope, his promises of redemption, his promises of rescuing, his promises of daily sustainment. Peter reminds them, these early Christians, he reminds them through Isaiah 40 that God's word has not perished or changed, that he will always keep and he is keeping his promises. And so we also, as exiled Christians throughout this broken world, can trust in the word of the Lord. We can trust in his promises. We can trust that his word will endure. Pure love is only produced out of pure truth. Isaiah 40 says this, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her. It's about proclamation. It's about preaching the word of the Lord. Comfort, bring this, Lord, that her wayfare is ended. That her, sorry, her warfare is ended. That her iniquity is pardoned. That she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. And so a voice cries out in the wilderness, preparing the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and every hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places of plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. And all flesh shall, shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. We have seen some of this prophecy, some of these promises of the Lord already come into fruition by the entrance of John the Baptist and Jesus. Verse 6 says this, A voice says, Cry. And I said, What shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades. When the breath of the Lord blows on it, surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord will stand forever. He's not just a season. The word of the Lord is not just a season. 
You know the season spring when the flowers show all their beauty? But instead, it's the opposite. The word of the Lord is always enduring through all seasons. No matter what season you're in now, don't just wait for the flowers to bloom again. Trust in the word of the Lord that goes through and endures through all seasons. Go up on a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift up, fear not, says the cities of Judah. Behold your God. Behold the Lord God comes with might. His arm rules for him. Behold his reward is with him and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom. He and gently lead them, lead those that are with with the young. To whom then will you liken God? Or what likeness compare with him? An idol? A craftsman cast it out, and a goldsmith overlays it with gold and cast for silver chains. He who is too impoverished for an offering chooses wood that, that will not rot. He seeks out a skillful craftsman to set up an idol that will not move. Do you not know? And did, do you not hear? Has it not been told to you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth and its inhabitants are all like grasshoppers, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in, who brings princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint. When your hamstring stretches this week and you grow faint and weary, and you're not sure if you have the strength to continue on to love one another and the world, he gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. See, see, even youth's generation, greatest generation, even youth shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall Mount up with wings like eagles, and they shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not be faint. Not because of their own strength, because of their trusting and obedience to God and His Word. Pure love is only produced out of pure truth. Yours and my task this morning is to respond in obedience to the truth. Submission to the gospel. Not my will, but yours. And so glorify Christ. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, help us in this moment as we have time to respond, to worship you. As we have time to recognize our weaknesses and trust in you and your strength. God, let us submit to you. No matter if we did that at eight years old and are now 90, God, let us continue in submission to you being stretched by you, being changed by you, submitting ourselves to your good news and trusting that even in our weaknesses, your grace is sufficient. God, help us not trust in our own words. Let us fully trust in your word this morning. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.